finished work of Jesus, we walk through the narrow gate. Amen? Amen? But, when I start to analyze my life, when I start looking into Bill Barlow's life, if I want to know that I'm saved, let me tell you how I will know. I will ask myself, Bill Barlow, are you walking the narrow way? You've entered. <clears throat> You've entered through the narrow gate. Are you walking the narrow way? Listen to what the Lord Jesus said. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way, get this, that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Interestingly enough, just eight verses later, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. How many people walk an aisle? How many people have an experience? How many people said a prayer? How many people got dunked in some water? How many people have come to church and then quit. They quit on the church. They quit on their brothers and sister in Christ. They quit on Jesus. I wonder, are they a follower of Christ? Because they walked an aisle, said a prayer, dunked in water? Do they have eternal life if they've entered through the gate but they're not walking in the way? Did they really become a Christian? Did they really make a decision to be a follower? I mean, what happened? What events transpired that would cause somebody to quit before they even got started good? Salvation doesn't require us to do anything. Salvation requires us to put our faith in Jesus Christ. However, all I'm saying is this. And I want you to see if you agree with me this morning. Being a follower is not an option for somebody who's truly saved. If you're saved, you're going to be a follower. Do you agree with that? The one that walks through the narrow gate willfully chooses to walk the narrow way. Intentionally following the narrow way is a natural outcome of going through the narrow gate. It's what happens. 
when you come to Jesus by faith. You become a follower. You can't get enough. You want more. You want to be with him more. You want to be with his people more. You're not satisfied with some surface relationship. You want more. And so you become a follower. Following comes out of a relationship. And if you're not following, do you really have a relationship? Friends, it's my responsibility to tell you that if you or someone you know is not following Jesus Christ, then you or somebody you know is probably not in a relationship with God. Following is the natural outcome of that relationship. So my question to you this morning is this, are you following or are you following at a distance? Today, I want us to consider one of the followers of Jesus. His name is Peter. And there's just something about Peter that I'm drawn to. Sadly, I think I see so much of myself in Peter, I can't wait to read about him. So let's look at a few qualities of this disciple, this follower, Peter, the one that Jesus chose first. First of all, Peter was just a little bit hard or hot-headed. Listen to what he did um, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father's given me? Peter's a little hot-headed. I mean, he cut that dude's ear right off. Not only was Peter hot-headed, but at times, Peter acted holier than thou. You ever known somebody that acted that way? Holier than thou? Listen to this. In John chapter 13, beginning in verse 5, um, Jesus had poured some water into a little tub, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had around his waist. Then he came to Simon Peter, and listen to what Peter said. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? It was like he's saying, don't you know who I am? I'm a Jew. I'm already clean. And you're wanting to wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. I'm already clean. I'm holier than thou. Not only was he a hothead, not only did he act holier than thou from time to time, but he was also quick to rebuke, quick to get on somebody before he had a chance to think about it. In Matthew chapter 16, 
Jesus had begun to show his disciples and to tell them that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer a great many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and that he must be killed and be raised again three days after that. And in the course of doing that, Peter took Jesus aside and the Bible says that he began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. That'd be like me trying to rebuke God. Have I lost my brain? Peter. But he turned to him and Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Because you are an offense to me. You're not mindful of the things of God, but only of the things of men. And then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him take up his cross. Let him deny himself, and guess what? Follow me. Are you a follower, or are you following from a distance? So Peter was a hothead, holier than thou at times, quick to rebuke people, but we're going to learn now that Peter was also very impulsive. If he felt it, he did it. If it came to the tip of his tongue, he said it. If he thought it, it was eventually going to come out. He was impulsive. He was quick to speak. Look in Mark chapter 14 with me, if you would. In verse 27, Then Jesus said to his disciples, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, because it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. And listen to what Peter said. Even if all of these other guys are made to stumble, not me. Not me. Uh-uh. Ain't happening. Not me. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that even this night, before the rooster crows, how many times? Twice. You will deny me how many times? Three times. But then, Peter didn't have enough. He spoke even more vehemently. He got a little louder. A little bit more abrasive, more vehemently. And he said, if I have to die with you, Lord, I will not deny you. And then the rest of them said, likewise. Pretty impulsive if you ask me. But I've spouted off at the mouth before. I've been impulsive before. I've acted holier than thou before. I've been a hothead before. But y'all don't believe that, do you? Say, no, Brother Bill, we don't believe that. But most of the time, it seemed to me that Peter had great intentions. He always tried to do the right thing, but it seems like sometimes, most of the time, things just blew up in his face. And in verse 54, I think we find out one reason why things blew up in his face. And that is, the Bible says that Peter followed him at a distance. Now, Peter's predicament following at a distance could apply to pastors, Sunday school teachers, leaders, teachers, it matters not, but I believe that it mostly applies to people who profess to be followers. They're following. They're just doing so at a distance. 
Friend, let me tell you something. Out there in that world, the distractions are many. If the enemy could do one thing against you, he would have you to follow. Just do it at a distance. But when you follow at a distance, bad things happen. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. When you choose to follow Jesus Christ at a distance, the first thing that happens is areas of your life begin to be left unguarded. And when areas of your life are unguarded, do you know what you do? You flirt. Everybody know what flirt means? When you leave areas of your life unguarded, you flirt. I know that sin is sin, but when you're leaving Christ, or you're following Christ at a distance, you begin to flirt. You begin to flirt with the small sins, and then all of a sudden the small sins become large sins. When you leave areas of your life unguarded, what may have been an occasional sin now becomes a more frequent sin. When you leave areas of your life unguarded, the cycle of sin in your life begins to frustrate you. What are you talking about, Brother Bill? Well, is there anybody here that has sinned before? Just want to make sure. You know the cycle of sin that I'm talking about then. You've sinned. Then you confess to God that sin and you agree with God that it's wrong and you turn your back on that sin and then you're restored back into fellowship as a result of your confession and then what happens after that? You sin again. Maybe even the very same sin and that vicious cycle of sin continues to repeat itself just like it did to the nation of Israel. And that cycle of sin will frustrate you. It will frustrate you to no end. Listen to how it frustrated the Apostle Paul. He wrote to the Roman believers, okay? Writing to people like you. He said, for what I am doing, I don't understand. In other words, I don't understand why I'm doing this. But what I will to do, I do not practice. And what I hate, that I do. Even the Apostle Paul was struggling with this vicious cycle of sin. He was frustrated with it. And when that happens, when you're leaving areas of your life unguarded, you begin to lose courage. You begin to doubt if Jesus is sufficient. And you begin to think about giving up. When you leave areas of your life unguarded, it's very easy for you to become overly prideful. I'll never do that. That sin he's doing? No, nah, you'll never see me do that. Listen to what I heard. I heard that every person under the right circumstances is susceptible to any sin. So if that's true, under the right conditions, you are susceptible to being a murderer. Under the right conditions, you're susceptible to being a thief, an adulterer, an evildoer, 
one who practices wickedness under the right conditions. So what did Paul say about that? He said, take heed lest you fall. Man, oh man, let's not be overly prideful because we're all capable of sin. I heard it said that unguarded strength, y'all heard that? Unguarded strength is more susceptible than guarded weakness. You know what your weaknesses are, don't you? Unguarded strength is more susceptible than guarded weakness. And when you follow Christ at a distance, friend, I want to tell you, you will leave areas of your life unguarded. But there's something else that happens when you try to follow Christ at a distance. Your life will be marked by prayerlessness. And perhaps the most difficult time of Jesus' earthly life, he took three of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he took them into a garden. I sensed that Jesus' heart began to pound. I sensed that Jesus' stomach began to cramp. I sensed that his mouth got dry. And the New Living Translation says that Jesus began to be filled with horror and he was deeply distressed. Then he said to them in verse 34 of Mark chapter 14, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little further. He fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And then he said, Abba. He said, Daddy. Daddy. Father. All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Don't let me suffer. Don't make me have to endure this pain. It's going to hurt. It's going to be distressingly painful. I'm horrified. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then he came and he found his disciples sleeping and he said to Peter, Simon, why are you sleeping? Could you not even watch one hour? Listen to what he said. Watch and pray. Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he went away again and he prayed and he spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them sleeping again. And their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And then he came a third time and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It's enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Did you catch what Jesus said in verse 38? If you want to overcome temptation, do what? Keep watching, keep praying. Keep watching and keep praying. Say that with me. Keep watching and keep praying. See, when you live a life marked with prayerlessness, you become more susceptible to temptation. So what in the world is the answer? Pray more! 
You say, Brother Bill, I already pray. I say, pray more. Pray more often. Pray when you wake up. Pray when you go to bed. Pray when you're eating. Pray when you're on the, on the mountaintop. Pray in the valley. Pray when you're reading your Bible. Pray more often. Why? Well, do you know what the disciples' biggest problem was? Here they had Jesus with them, but here was their biggest problem. In the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's one thing you rarely see. And the thing you rarely see is the disciples praying. You see Jesus praying. He went off to a mountaintop to pray. He got up early in the morning to pray. He went off to a faraway place to pray. But you don't see the disciples doing it. What is up with that? What is the deal? Did they take the fact that the living presence of Jesus was there? Did they take that for granted? Did they say to themselves, oh, praying is his job? Did y'all hear that? Oh, praying is Chad's job. He's a deacon in this church. Praying is Harold's job. Praying is Brother Hal's job. Praying is Chuck's job. Praying is Brother Bill's job. They're the leaders. They got to pray. I wonder if they said that about Jesus. Did they think, you know what? Why should we pray to God when God's right here in the flesh? I don't know. But you don't find them praying in the Gospels very much. But you know where you find them praying? You find them praying in the book of Acts. After Jesus has been ascended to heaven, they don't have Jesus in the flesh anymore. Then all of a sudden they get with it. They start to pray. They don't have Jesus in the flesh, so they start praying in the Spirit. They get with it. Listen carefully, friends. There is power in prayer. Ask that person that I got to take off the prayer list. There's power in prayer. Ask that person that has been uh, seeing relationships restored as a result of prayer. They'll tell you there's power in prayer. But typically, when you try to follow Christ at a distance, you leave areas of your life unguarded and you don't pray. Here's something else that happens when you try to follow Christ at a distance. You become insensitive to the warning signs of sin. You may not know this, but the Gospel of Mark, Peter worked very closely with John Mark to write that Gospel. He didn't write it, but he worked hand in hand with him as he wrote that, that narrative about Jesus' life. And only Mark's Gospel points this out. In verse 30, the word says, before the rooster crows, how many? Twice. And then in verse 72, the second time the rooster crowed, then Peter called to mind the words that were said by Jesus, and he thought about them, and he wept. Where are you going with this, Brother Bill? That first crow, you hear me? That first crow was a wake-up call.
That first crow was a warning sign and Peter missed it. How many warning signs have you missed? So often, we sense changes that need to be made in our lives. We know something's got to give. But we ignore that voice, that voice of God, that warning sign, that wake-up call. We ignore it. We look in the mirror and we point and we say, you better straighten up and fly right. You better start doing what the Bible calls you to do. But then when we leave the mirror, we go right back to the same old behaviors again. That is tempting God. Did you hear me? When God convicts you and you go back to that same old behavior, you are tempting God. He's told you in his word what you're to do or not to do. He's convicted you of the wrong that you're doing. He's challenged you to submit and change. But you continue in that same old pattern of behavior. Let me tell you something. That's a wake-up call. That's a warning sign. Don't ignore God's warning sign. You need to heed when God gives you a warning. Because Satan and sin, they enter into your life very slowly. Say slowly. Very steadily. Yeah. They're working in your life. But I want you to know that Satan is a liar. He's crafty. He works slowly but steadily. And here's what he's working to do. He's looking to do anything that he can do to drive a wedge between you and your heavenly father. Don't ignore the warning signs. In the moment that Eve and Adam stopped listening to God and started listening to that serpent, they were essentially following God at a distance. The result was the catastrophic fall of the whole generation of mankind. Satan is a liar, and he will do anything, he will say anything he can to get a wedge between you and your father. So you got to pay attention to the warning signs of God. God sends you a wake-up call. By all means, wake up. It's said that a Christian is only three missed quiet times from falling into sin. If you can repeatedly miss quiet times of Bible devotion and Bible reading with the Lord Jesus... You are following at a distance. And you are in danger of doing exactly what Peter did. 
don't become insensitive to the warning signs. Because when you finally realize it after that second crow, like Peter, you will weep. Don't follow Christ at a distance. You'll leave areas of your life unguarded. You won't pray. And you won't heed the warning signs. But I want you to know this today. When and if you ever follow Christ at a distance, and I pray with all my heart that you don't, because we see what happens when you do. But if you do, I pray that you never forget that there is a God who loves you. Luke 22, verse 61, Jesus looked at Peter. He didn't look at Peter with a look of condemnation. He didn't look at Peter with a look of anger. He looked at Peter with a look of love. You see, Jesus is never satisfied when you're following at a distance. He loves you so much, he wants you close. In all these gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter didn't write any of those. He had his input, but he didn't write any of those. That means this. Peter had to tell somebody what happened to him. Peter had to tell others what Jesus said to him. Peter had to tell others how it was that Jesus looked at him. Peter had to fess up to what he'd done. Peter had to testify about what happens when you follow Christ at a distance. So what does this story teach me? It's real simple. This narrative should teach you this one thing. That every Christian in this room should have but one primary goal. Stay close to God. Isn't that simple? And it's your choice. Stay close to him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, James said. I heard a wonderful preacher say that successful ministry flows out of intimacy with God. I've never forgotten that. What does that mean? That means that being close to God don't happen because you're doing a lot of stuff in the name of God. You do a lot of things in the name of Jesus because you're so close to God. Don't follow at a distance. He wants you close. But Jesus said... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. These were church people. 
that were saying, Lord, Lord. Why else would they call him Lord? They were church people. They had a verbal assent that he was Lord. They were church folks. But apparently, there were church people who weren't doing the will of God. And what did he say about that? What did he say about these people who had no evidence of the relationship? What does Matthew 7, 21 say to them? Not all them church people who call me Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven. It's more than just a verbal profession. It's a life. A lifelong relationship. What does Matthew 7, 21 say? It says those church people who are verbally saying that Jesus is Lord may have been following, but they were following at a distance. You see, following is not trailing way behind. Following is not half-heartedly serving God. Following Jesus is not not serving Him at all. Following is walking step by step by faith in the Lord Jesus. That's following. And following is a natural result of a relationship. So I only have one question for you this morning. Have you got one? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Can you say, yes, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and the, the evidence that I show myself is that I am following Him in everything that He would have me do. I've entered the narrow gate and I'm walking the narrow way. When I sin, I feel the sting of conviction and I hit my knees and I ask God to forgive me right there on the spot. I don't flounder around over there in the ditch messing around in the muck and the mire. I'm convicted instantly and I do something about it instantly. Friend, that's walking the narrow way. And if you've been one of those that have walked an aisle and said a prayer one day, and you're convinced that that's what God asks of you, I want to challenge you. I cannot look into your life and tell you whether you are saved or not. But you can apply these scriptures to your own life. You know if the evidence is there. You know if there's proof. You make that decision. That's between you and the Lord today. If you'll come today, I can introduce you to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And I can tell you what God says in His Word about faith in Him, walking through the narrow gate and walking the narrow way. At the conclusion of every service, we always offer a time of decision. But you know, a decision is just not a one-time thing.
Because I can't speak for you, but I make a daily decision to follow him. Every day. Sometimes it's a harder decision than others. But all I know is that I belong to him. And my following comes as a relationship, as a result of that relationship. So if you haven't come ever, you can today. If you recognize you've been following at a distance, you can come and get right. You let the Lord speak to you. But let me pray for you first.